PMI Online, JBA here, and welcome to another episode of Diversity and Mentorships in Investing, a limited series where we chat with some incredible angels and VCs and entrepreneurs about diversity in investing each week. Are you looking to start or grow your startup but feel like you can't get to that next level? Well, DMI listeners, we have several private communities and a startup incubator specifically geared for you. Visit VentureC.com forward slash incubator to apply and join the growing number of funded startup businesses. Incubators are one of the best ways to get honest and direct feedback to strengthen the possibility to get funding. So apply now as there are a limited number of spots available. VentureC.com. Now, let's get ready to chat with our featured guest, Iman Mukherjee. Iman, are you ready to have a conversation about diversity and mentorship in investing? Yes, Jeremy. Super excited. Awesome. So Iman is a mindfulness-based therapist and a neuroimmunology researcher based at New York University. She has several first author scientific publications about the neurobiological effects of mindfulness and has authored books and chapters on brain changes in autism, and most recently on the effects of stress and mindfulness on epigenetics. She's also the founder of Javika, a program that teaches mindfulness through microhabits via a series of five one-hour virtual workshops and a daily app-based microhabit trainer. She also successfully has raised uh, 10K in capital via the NYU Startup Launchpad Accelerator program. So, I'm on. Lots to discuss. Uh, but first, I want to take a step back and maybe fill in some gaps about growing up and what made you the woman you are today. Oh, that's a great question. Thanks, Jeremy. So I grew up mostly in India, a few years in Venezuela, and I was a technologist by profession and had a successful career on Wall Street. I was at JP Morgan Chase doing really well. I also at that time uh, hit a personal trauma. And uh, basically, I was in a relationship that was abusive, and I literally ran away from it. What happened after that was what changed my life. In order to cope with the stress of that relationship or the after effect of it, I started meditating. I mean, one of my friends just took me somewhere, uh, a Buddhist place in New York City, kicking and screaming and said, you probably need this. And uh, being the type A, very restless person that I am, I wasn't very comfortable the very first time I meditated. But also being the type A, I decided to keep going because I had to excel at it. After a few months, not only I was more comfortable in meditating and had a more regular practice, I started noticing a change, a change in the way I saw things in life, but also a change that was a bit more physical. My immune system seemed to have improved. I was getting less cough and cold. Even if I had a cold, I could fight it back very easily. Was it a coincidence or was it related to the meditation practice? So basically, at that point, with a very good career on Wall Street, I decided, okay, I need to find out what was happening. And also, if this such a simple practice of being present could actually help me get to this point, I need to teach this to others. It's a secret. Why is it a secret? So I went back to school. I went to NYU, 
started doing clinical social work. So I got a degree as a clinical social worker, but I also started working at a lab at NYU Langone, a brain lab. And there I started my research career where I started researching how stress affected our bodies. Uh, by bodies, I mean uh, down to the immune system, down to the gut microbes and so on. And uh, how can we reverse it? Does it really get reversed if we practice mindfulness? And so that, that thereon, I started my career as a researcher and as uh, a clinical social worker. Basically, you know, as, as I was working at the lab, I was actually introduced by one of my doctor friends to a group of doctors at a large NY New York City hospital to teach meditation. I went in, walked into the room, was full of medical students, brimming to the edge. Literally, people were sitting on the floor at the door, not because I was famous or I was amazing, but because they needed it. And that got me curious. I walked out. It felt like they really liked meditating. But a month later, when I checked in, assuming that their burnout, which is why they were there, was all gone. Guess what? I found they were still burned out. And uh, later on, I found that about half of U.S. clinicians which means physicians and nurses are actually leaving their jobs because they're so burned out. Physicians and nurses are twice as likely to take their own lives than the other populations. Why? Because they're burned out and no one is doing anything about it. So that's when I started asking what was not working about my intervention, the meditation for them, which it didn't work. It turns out that doctors, and especially doctors, I interviewed 100 doctors around North America, to find three things. One, they wanted to learn how to be mindful, which is being present and noticing if you're getting stressed and doing something about it. But they didn't want to meditate. So I got curious and asked why. The overwhelming answer was, we don't have time for it. Even for five minutes a day? No, we don't. And that's why we were burned out. So we had to find something that was less than five minutes a day, but would still help their mental well-being. The third thing I found was a lot of doctors said meditation seemed a little too woo-woo for them, too spiritual. Well, justifiably so. These are people who have studied science and practiced science, and to them, a practice that's rooted in spiritual spirituality could be a little icky. So... That was the aha moment, the light bulb moment of when Jivika, my startup, was born. Mm. I went back and basically broke down mindfulness into 30-second micro habits. And since then, it's been amazing. That's actually an amazing story. And thank you for sharing that. I wonder if, you know, I look at post and pre-COVID, and I'm curious, when you yeah. started your company, what was that road like with, obviously, thinking, okay, am I going to get funding? Am I not going to get funding? And we'll talk about one of the other questions in a little bit, the the launch pad. But what was that for you? Did you know that you were going to get funding from the beginning or, uh, you know, I because you had the background of Wall Street or did you kind of say, well, you know, do I need funding or how, what was that like for you? Yeah, that was a great question. I didn't think about funding when I started. And 
because the problem is so severe, especially in the hospital front lines. And now we're also working. So we work with, so we're a B2B app and we work with 31 big hospital systems across the U.S., including Cleveland Clinic, Rush University, and so on. But we also have eight other clients that are non-healthcare. So burnout is a big, 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 big problem. It always has been. But as you said, the pandemic exacerbated it. So there was a big demand. So there is a product market fit that we were lucky to have found. So that helped us grow within the market without having to raise. So funding was not at the forefront of the mind. But of course, when we did get the small funding from NYU's accelerator last year, it was a coincidence. They invited us to actually apply for it. And once we got it, it felt really great because it was a little bit easier with an injection of uh, 10K. However, we also, like any founders, I think I had a naive, and I still do, a naive uh, positivity that this this is going to work. And whether or not we get funding, we uh, will still meet the needs of our end users. But of course, there are bigger things, bills that are going to happen down the line, especially with artificial intelligence and um, data analytics, where we would be raising some funds. Uh, so we will be looking for that. So there is a practical need, of course, for fundraising, but it never really made us worry whether we'll be out of business because there is a big need for the product. That's actually interesting you say that because even in our program with incubators, we, you know, we have a small amount raised and we've classified this new category at a fund called pre-pre-seed where you, you are kind of incubating that idea and, you know, you don't need a million, hundred million dollar capital raise to, to get to the next milestone. And I think, especially like I was saying, in this economy, the small steps and the milestones, getting back to basics of helping the community or doing, you know, one focus or one target and reaching those goals is, is ever important. So that's good to hear that, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, taking it slow, but obviously the capital helps to, you know, sometimes Absolutely. get to the, to the next step. So. And also, like you said, the mentorship really helped because that's one thing I would really encourage other entrepreneurs to seek is good mentors. And sometimes an accelerator and or an incubator really helps guide you through or push you through those milestones. Completely. And, and even, you know, moving on to the topic of mentorship, because there's other side of the coin where we talk about investing, but we don't talk about mentorship in that way. And so I think you know, when I talked in the previous show about mentorship and diversity, some of the ideas of how do we actually mentor the next generation? Yeah. And it's funny because I think about this, they grew up in a different time when COVID, some of them, yeah. I teach college students, they just graduated, but they graduated in COVID. So they're not in the office. They're not, you know, everything was remote. So how do you take that where it is kind of isolation versus the last, what, 20 or so years, you get a job, you graduate, you go into the office, you meet with coworkers, you you have this kind of collegial thing that you yeah. call, but now that's that's not that's not the case, and a lot of people have not had that experience. So it's interesting to see. Have you seen a difference in that kind of curriculum program versus you know the traditional? Okay, you need to take some time away from the office or the job, but if I've never yeah. been there, 
how does how does that work you know obviously covid was terrible 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 stress inducing and so on but uh our team was uh, very much virtual so i'm going to give you an example of mentorship so the accelerator was combined so hybrid that worked out really well for us uh it does help sometimes to be in person especially when you're networking with investors and so on it's good actually it's much better to be in person <laughs> when you're meeting investors for the first time but on the other hand our team for example has a brilliant designer UX designer and he and I have been working since uh the last one and a half year I would say and it's been 100% virtual and his design i think his design made our product what it is and we learn from each other of course and i think there was no lack in not being able to meet in person because he still translates my uh design expectations into exactly what what i visualized without being a designer so mentorship is different in a way being virtual but virtual also opens up certain flexibilities you don't have to commute somewhere you can still learn by just you know within 5 minutes you don't you don't have to travel somewhere for 15 20 minutes to get there yeah and actually that's funny because sometimes when you think of you know mental health or physical therapy or those sort of things going somewhere going to a place and so in your program it's you know the the virtual idea of of embedding this you know the existence of virtual virtual programs can be just as successful as in person programs although i do agree that sometimes you know in person when you meet with an investor or something is yeah. is important especially if, <laughs> if somebody's writing you absolutely. a check absolutely absolutely you, know, that, that, that you have to and also does. you know there is a little bit of trust i mean not little bit a lot of trust building mutually that happens so um you know we were we were able to close a lot of new clients virtually uh we closed a business with the EU's court of auditors during the pandemic all virtually i didn't have to travel to luxembourg where they're located um so closing a client virtually happens a lot but i think when it comes to fundraising i've had better luck meeting investors in real life it's just the reality uh you see the body language they see you and there is a level of trust that develops if you meet someone that's going to write you a big check in person and it also i i find that investor entrepreneur relationship is very much trust building over the time type of relationship rather than just looking at investors as someone uh, the guy or gal that's going to write a check yeah it's way more than that to me at least and and i think it's important to develop that trust that friendship and we we actively do that speaking of trust obviously you know you've been when you were at chase i'm sure you've seen the financial crisis lehman bear stearns and yeah. this sbv uh sbv fallout was interesting to me is that the startup ecosystem where as you can know most of these investors and a lot of companies uh were were you know holding their funds there and i'm wondering about the small business startup ecosystem because one of the things i saw recently you know with this whole takeover with these banks the bigger banks right morgan yeah. are, are not willing to take over 
that risky asset class because one, maybe they can't service them in the way of what startups need, uh, or B, they may not, you know, be interested in this economic period. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. what your thoughts are in that for startups looking to raise capital within the next year or even in that whole system, is there something that may be less available and should they look for grants, right? Like you guys had gotten from NYU last year or other alternative financing routes because normally last year, five years, raise capital, raise capital, VC, but maybe that's not the right approach. And even Mm -hmm. in our, you know, incubator, we kind of don't always look at that, right? Debt, revenue financing, other areas of financing, crowdfunding financing versus always going VC, VC, VC. Absolutely. Uh, And VCs? So here is one thing that we have learned, and we've been lucky because of the nature of our product, we were still able to earn enough revenue to bootstrap uh, our app build because we have a workshop piece to our product that was still generating revenue while we were building the app. But we have learned to be scrappy. That's number one. Mm-hmm. We're very careful with... So my... I wouldn't take any salary, at least not until date. I haven't taken any salary for myself, but I'm also careful to make sure that the people who are working and passionately so uh, on the product are getting compensated as priority to our means. And besides that, I think it's very important to be scrappy. So if you're signing a contract uh, on, say, trademark or something, you need to do your due diligence to make sure that asking around, are are you getting the best deal? Uh, and is it a legit lawyer, for example? But uh, scrappiness is number one. The number two is, of course, you know, when it comes to financing versus grants, I'm always for grants just because it's not a debt. And uh, there is also more freedom as an entrepreneur to receive a grant. There are various ways of getting grants. Of course, you know, you have these uh, accelerators, smaller accelerators you can apply for. You can also do uh, pitch competitions. Sometimes they do grants. And generally, uh, there is also a way which I've not pursued SBIR grants from the government uh, for small businesses would be one option. We are, however, pursuing uh, grants from another avenue because our product is a a mental health technology uh, and we're incorporating biometrics. uh, Mm. We will be researching that. So we are researching it. So from that standpoint, we're actually using our research partners grant pool and that's the goal to also fund us for the time and effort that we're putting into the research and for an app development research is the development or building of the app so you're basically able to fund the app build a better and more informed one because it's research-based correct so those are a few ways that's awesome. Yeah. And research-based apps, obviously, sometimes startups and entrepreneurs say, hey, let's just build an app, but without the research and backing of understanding you know, what you're building and how your customer segments are defined, you will maybe run out of money. And I think you're, you've hit on something very important with revenue, right? Driving revenue. And even in our fund, we are revenue focused focus first. Uh, as I used to say, as you know, in the street, cash <laughs> is king. I still yeah. think it is 
you know, a top, a top player in, in the whole scheme of things. So absolutely, uh, definitely agree with that. So and, we're, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. sorry, no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one thing you mentioned, you know, VC is always this, you know, sexy, shiny thing that's put forth in front of the <laughs> entrepreneurs. And we often look for that, but something to note is VCs do not come um, in uh, until a little bit later. So you need to have several millions of ask for a VC to participate. And it really depends on who we're talking to. So for us, for example, hospital systems, VCs are very, uh, some of them are interested in us, but they have a whole other process. So VCs do come a little bit after you've shown the track record. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's right. something and to some, note. A- and some of them have big pre- processes where like they can't, spend less than a certain amount so exactly you're, you're correct exactly exactly and the angels are good but honestly if you can my my radar says you know if you can wait as long as you can uh and build the build the product in a way and prove that it's working and get more and more engagement you're more valuable uh in the eyes of investors so why not wait a little bit if you can Completely. And the best part, best, uh, best way to worry is generate some revenue. <laughs> so that, oh, yeah. That definitely is oh, there yeah. And also, that, like, you know, are, do, are your users happy? Are you meeting their needs? Mm-hmm. It's, are you, uh, alleviating their pain? I mean, those things are very important to me. And I think if you come t- from that place, fundraising becomes just a side eff- effect of that. Like it just happens. Correct. Correct. Cool. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to stop there for now, and then we're going to move on to what we call the lightning round. And we're going to play that lightning round after a quick word from our sponsors. Awesome. If you're an angel or crowdfunding investor, you know how tough it can be to find the right deal flow or syndicate to join. That's where ETF Angels comes into play. As an ETF fund, we pool the best pre-seed and pre-pre-seed startups together under one umbrella to better diversify your assets and investments. Whether you're a seasoned investor or making your first startup investment, do it with the confidence and support of diverse investors like yourself. Join the investors that have already made the switch by visiting ventureseed.com forward slash communities to learn more and apply. And we're back with Iman. Now, for those who are not familiar with our lightning round, here's how it's played. We ask our guest two questions, of which one of those questions must be answered correctly to win the prize. Now, our guest will have 30 seconds to answer these questions. So, Iman, are you ready to play the lightning round? Yes, I am, Jeremy. Awesome. So remember, you'll have 30 seconds to answer the questions. So here we go. In 2020... What percentage of U.S. adults experienced serious mental illness, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, of a survey of 14.2 million people? Was it 5.6%, B, 10.2%, or C, 25.5%? It's the last one, C. Next question. One in four Massachusetts physicians Plans to leave medicine in the next two years. True or false? That sounds right. That sounds right. Um, One fourth. Yep. 
Cool. So true is correct. And the first one you didn't get, but like I said, we give prizes anyway. And the answer was, I guess, 5.6. Um, but it was interesting. So yeah. we're going to give you your prize and talk all about it after the show. But let us go back for a quick word from our sponsor. Are you an entrepreneur trying to grow your business or an investor who wants to better understand the economies of a startup? Well, D, my listeners, subscribe to our VC Open newsletter where you'll receive some of the best advice on raising capital for your startup all for free. There is no commitment, so go to vcopened.ventureseed.com. That's vcopened.ventureseed.com or visit ventureseed.com for the correct link. So we're back and you've been hanging out with Iman and Jeremy. Well, Iman, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and being part of our program. I, I think we've gained some incredible insights from your journey, specifically regarding mental health, which is always an important topic. So now whenever you're ready, I want to end today on DMI with a parting piece of guidance you can provide to our listeners and the best way we can, can connect with you. And then we'll say goodbye. Awesome. Oh, that's Awesome. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was a lot of fun um, and the time flew. Uh, one piece of advice. I would say, you know, just from my own journey, that's all I learned from mostly and watching others. Follow your dreams. I mean, I quit a very successful career because I thought my calling was um, healing people's mental health. And uh, through mindfulness, because it's simple, it's no stigma attached. So, and I basically forwent a big salary uh, job to become an entrepreneur. So that's one thing I would say. And finally, you know, as an entrepreneur, I would say find the pr right product market fit. And that's, uh, that's the biggest uh, key to the solution. And how to reach me? Best way to reach me. And uh, Jeremy, I have a question for you. Would it be possible to flash my email address on the podcast as well? Sure. Uh, and, okay. and once you do it, yeah, we usually um, do uh, some promotion once the show airs. So absolutely. Okay. So uh, it's basically, you know, my email address is would be the best way. And it's a little bit long. It's Iman Mukherjee Hausam at gmail.com. It's A-Y-M-A-N-M-U-K-E-R-J-I-H-O-U-S-E-H-A-M at gmail.com. Thank you. Perfect. Awesome. Well, again, Iman, I want to thank you for coming on the show, providing tremendous value to our listeners, and we will definitely chat soon. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It was a pleasure.